Welcome to the Connected Insurance Podcast, presented by Agency Revolution. Listen to interviews with the most influential people in the insurance industry. Learn the most important strategies, tactics, trends, and challenges facing today's independent insurance agents and brokers. New episodes every Wednesday. Visit agencyrevolution.com and click media to explore the Connected Insurance family of resources for insurance agents and brokers. Subscribe today and get updates delivered right to your inbox. And now, without further delay, the Connected Insurance Podcast. Hello, this is Michael Jans, co-founder of Agency Revolution. Delighted to be your podcast host broadcasting from the foothills of the Sonoran Desert. And I want to welcome you to this episode of the Connected Insurance Podcast presented by Agency Revolution creators of Fuse, the insurance marketing software that skyrockets retention, boosts policy per customer, and makes your clients love your agency without you having to hire more staff, programmers, or technologists. Visit agencyrevolution.com and request a demo of the software that agents and brokers are raving about today and is a national award-winning piece of software. Um, Before I introduce our guest, um, I'll just say uh, one word about uh, an observation I made regarding the software when I saw on Agency Revolution's Slack channel how some clients were, clients of Agency Revolution, clients using the Fuse tool, we're reaching out to their customers during this time. Now, when I refer to this time, I'm meaning a time when the West Coast of the United States is on fire. And of course, there are a lot of other things happening here as well. Uh, but um, particularly what I noticed was uh, clients were reaching out to their customers, talking about uh, what they needed to do to um, file claims, driving them to uh, a special web page they may have developed. I noticed something that uh, Bancor Insurance had done, which uh, impressed me greatly. Uh, and by the way, Tammy Lesur was an early guest on the podcast series, and they continue to do great work, and they continue to strengthen their relationship with their customers using tools like Fuse. So, was, well, I'm always thrilled when it fulfills the higher missions of protecting people, informing people, giving some people some clarity, some confidence and a higher mission that it was intended for. So, boom, makes me happy. That said, this particular conversation also made me happy, and you should be thrilled about it as well. I'm thrilled to be uh, be able to introduce you to our guest, Dr. Robert Cialdini. A word or two about him. Um, Now, I first got to know uh, Dr. Cialdini through his book, Influence the New Psychology of Persuasion, And then uh, some years ago, this is many years ago, maybe eight, nine, 10 years ago, hired Bob to be the keynote speaker for one of, at that point, my annual boot camps. So there are four or 500 agents who heard him live. And uh, let me say this about him. I don't know a serious marketer anywhere that I've worked with that doesn't have a copy of that book in their library. And if you don't have it, you probably should get it. It... It uh, defines um, the, uh, the landscape of persuasion and influence in an ethical way and provides a, uh, a map for the use of six fundamental principles, six drivers that, um, that influence and help people make decisions. So, uh, so I took that book to that boot camp and I showed it to Dr. Cialdini. He agreed it was definitely the most marked up, highlighted, dog-eared, flagged copy he'd ever seen. And he was very gracious to uh, sign a very kind note at the beginning. And we've been occasionally in, t- uh, in touch with one another since then. So, boom, again, delighted to introduce you to um, this conversation. Uh, in it, he covers uh, the, the six proven principles of persuasion as they're laid out. And, and really, um, oh, others have uh, made stabs at this field of influence and persuasion. Nobody has 
made the impact that Dr. Cialdini has. I'm really quite confident in being able to say that. Uh, he also talks about something extremely interesting, um, which he calls, uh, named after one of his other books, persuasion. Those small things that you can do before you make the ask that help influence people to make the, pro- the appropriate decision. And, uh, and then gets into some really very practical things that you can put to work for yourself immediately. One of the things that I love about these principles is you don't have to work harder. You don't have to work more. You really don't have to learn a lot of tricks and techniques. If you understand these principles and understand them well, then you get better results on the same amount of work. So um, I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. I, I do have one more thing, a, a gift um, I realized that uh, I had um, excerpts from one of his books, Persuasion, and um, one sort of one of the popular things that my own clients um, appreciate, seem to appreciate from me, is that when I read a book, I typically will create highlights, and then I will. Uh, share those highlights, particularly if it's a business book, I'll share those highlights with my clients. I've done that for the book Persuasion, and I'm happy to make them available to anybody who wants them. And the easy way to do it is this. In the next day, I will post a make a post on LinkedIn in which I will share a link and you can just go take a look at the highlights. I've got Oh, as I recall, it's 37 different highlights with a few comments from me about each one or not each one, but about some of them. And um, and, and I think when you look at that, you'll uh, a few bells will go off. You'll get some insights and then you can, of course, uh, determine if you want to purchase the book. I uh, again, I will encourage you to purchase every book that Dr. Cialdini has written. Uh, I have I think I have them all. I know I've got three of them right behind me. So without further ado, it is a a great privilege to be able to introduce you to really one of the icons of marketing, of influence and persuasion, Dr. Robert Cialdini. Dr. Robert Cialdini, thanks so much for joining us. How are you? I'm well, Michael. How are you? Well, um, (laughs) that's, well, we're both, we're both in the valley here in the uh, Phoenix metropolitan area and you know, it's hot. Uh, yeah, so I'm, a little, I'm a little bit warm, um, but I, but I can't uh, I can't ignore the question and say it's just a hot day. Uh, it's been a um, a record setting summer uh, by uh, you know like by 10x. I mean we've had more 100 That's right. degree days and, up here uh, than I, ever in the history. I, I'm concerned of that we're in, um, in line for a number of uh, more of these. Yeah, uh, uh, very well could be. And uh, f- for what it's worth, uh, last week I recorded a podcast with a broker, a big broker in San Francisco, whose whose life literally is changed on a daily basis by climate change. So I know that's not the topic of this conversation, but uh, in this industry, I'm 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 one I'm I'm one of the guys willing to talk about it. <laughs> so. So you asked how I was, boom, went into climate change just like that. Uh, I'm doing fine. Thank you very much. And I'm happy and I'm thrilled to have this conversation with you. Um, I know I know you and I know your work very well, uh, but let me turn it over to you and perhaps uh, ask you to introduce yourself. Well, certainly I uh, have been, I'm a behavioral scientist. I've been interested in the persuasion process all my life, probably having to do with the fact that all my life I've been a sucker. And I was always interested in how that happened, that I would stand in unwanted possession of this particular product or having made a contribution to some cause I never really heard of. And it seemed to me there must be a psychology to it because it couldn't be the merits of the thing. I was purchasing, I was contributing to things on their merits, I wasn't truly engaged with. It must have been the way the merits were presented to me that swept me along. And so I decided to make this a life's work, to find out what those psychological features of the presentation of your case are and whether they're teachable and uh, whether we can recognize 
how to use them ethically to advance our uh, our case. So, uh, so you started. You you really started um, studying as an academic. This became your career. Right. Um, I'm a, trained as a social psychologist, uh, but it but the sub uh, area of social psychology that's always intrigued me most has been persuasion and social influence. Mm-hmm. How do we arrange our requests, our proposals, our recommendations so that people find them um, um, attractive and want to move in our direction? Uh, um, well, as you're probably aware, um, I mean, first of all, I've been in the marketing side of business for well over 25 years. And I don't, I don't, can't think of a single serious marketer that I know, and I know a lot of them, that don't have a copy of at least one of your books in the, on their bookshelf, or like me, more likely it's on their desk. Um, I have three of your books. Um, of course, you're, I think this was your first book, Influence the New Psychology of Modern Persuasion. Yes. Um, and then uh, and then you followed that up um, with a book. Was it called Yes? Correct. 50 right. Scientific Ways to Be Persuasive. Right. Um, and which is just full of stories. And then I think you followed that one up with your book, Persuasion, right. which demonstrates that uh, it's not only the principle that influences people's behavior, but the context uh, in which it's presented. Or the, um, or the behavior that comes before they ask. Right. How do we frame the, um, uh, the request ahead of time so that people find it uh, congruent with the, the state of mind that we've put them in when we've acted before the request? Um, so in any case, I'll recommend all three books. <laughs> let, me, let me share something about... Um, my copy of the book Influence, uh, I, th- I think, Bob, you and I first met, it was, gosh, I'm, um, it, I'm a, it's a little bit hard for me to pull out the year, but it seems like it was about 10 years ago. Uh, <clears throat> and you were, uh, <clears throat> I hired you as a keynote speaker for one of our boot camps. And I thought, oh, well, I should bring my copy of the book Influence to that boot camp, which I did. Uh, I showed it to you, and I think you did agree that it was the most dog-eared, flagged, and underlined and highlighted copy of the book you'd ever seen. And you, you gave me a, a beautiful little um, uh, message with your signature on the front page. So, Well, I'll uh, tell you, the dog-eared and, uh, and obviously uh, paged through and copied over copies of the book Warm My Heart. <laughs> <laughs> I still only bought. Well, actually, I, I I also bought multiple copies, and and I sent them at one point. Sent them to members of my master mind group. So, um, <clears throat> I bought more than one copy. So, in any case, uh, moving right along. Uh, so, your work uh, really. Uh, so, like I said, uh, you've influenced the world of marketing, and I'm not sure if that was your original um, initiative. I'm not sure if that was the mission that you set out on. The book was actually written for consumers. That's what I thought. (laughs) How to protect yourself from marketers. Right. Marketers who use these principles in uh, unethical or undue fashion, not the marketers who use them honestly to inform us into it. Those folks are my allies. I, <laughs> I, th- those people are my friends. If they give me information about true scarcity in a situation, mm-hmm. true uh, authority, uh, a true consensus on an issue, those factors uh, educate me into assent rather right. than trick uh, or deceive me. So, so these six principles, which we're going to cover here shortly, uh, I think the way you conceive of them is that they are, um, they're neither on the surface ethical or unethical. It's the, um, it's the person that's behind them, the marketer or the person who executes them that has to make the ethical decision. Right. Then, it's yeah. like dynamite. It's, it, it can be used for good or ill. You can build a bridge with it. You can blow up a bit, bridge with it. So uh, right. how you use it is uh, based on uh, 
the ethics uh, and morality of the person who uh, lights the fuse. Okay, so my audience is 100% ethical. So why don't we dive into these principles? Does that sound good? Good. Okay, well, um, and so I've got them um, on a three by five card on my desk. I write a lot of copy. I create a lot of marketing. I develop a lot of strategy, both for myself and my clients. And when I do that, I want to be reminded almost like a checklist. Am I covering the principles that are most appropriate for this communication? So uh, I've got them in order on my desk in the same order that you've got in your book. And it starts with uh, the law of reciprocity. Yes, that's one that's so central to all human behavior. People want to give back to you the kind of treatment they've received from you. If you do Mm -hmm. something first by giving them uh, something of value, it could be more information. uh, It could be a positive attitude at the office. Uh, It will all come back to you because people are trained from childhood to live by the rule of reciprocity. You must give back what you have received. Uh, Here's an example uh, of a a study that was done in a candy shop in Southern California. Uh, Researchers had the manager greet half of the people who came in one day warmly and escort them to the candy counter. The other half were greeted warmly, given a small piece of chocolate, and then Uh escorted to the counter. Those people were 42% more likely to buy candy. (laughs) Okay, that's worth paying attention to. And so the question is, well, maybe they just like the chocolate, and they bought more of it. No, if you look at the data, the majority of them didn't buy more chocolate. They bought other candy. It wasn't what they had received. It was that they had received that triggered their decision to give back. That is powerful. So, so let me ask you a question. You, you, you said something a moment ago that raises this question for me. Um, these principles, as far as you can tell, um, you, you had said... The law of reciprocity seems to have been uh, perhaps built in from childhood. As I recall, um, in the very early part of your book, Influence, you talk about how perhaps some principles are actually baked in, um, uh, for want of a better word, genetically. Yes. And you, as I recall, you gave an example of, I can't remember what kind of bird it was, but there was some kind of a bird that... Um, automatically responded to a certain trigger, and it probably wasn't trained to do that. It was born to do that. Do you remember that story? Yeah, so turkey mothers will respond only to the cheap, cheap sound of a baby chick Mm -hmm. that is representative of the sound that baby chicks make. They They can look like a baby chick. They can feel like a baby chick. If they don't make that cheap, cheap sound... The mother ignores and will even kill it sometimes, right? So they're wired for one particular cue that causes them to react uh, intuitively. Mm -hmm. It's been baked into them. And most of the time, they're right. If a baby chick doesn't go cheap, cheap, it's probably not one of... Hers, right? Right. Or it may be a a chick that isn't going to live anyway, so she's going to ignore it. But the point is, it's that one thing. Well, these six principles are like that for us. They're one cue. If it's in the environment and we have been exposed to it, we react automatically. And reciprocity is one. If someone has given us something, We have to give it back. We're trained in it from childhood. In every human culture, we have very nasty names for people who don't give back after Ah. they have received, right? What do we call them in English? We call them moochers or takers or inmates or Mm -hmm. teenagers, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Can I get a a witness? Uh, So nobody wants to be labeled like that. So as soon as someone gives to us, 
there's a sense of obligation. In order um, to behave correctly, we have to be open ourselves up to doing something for them, giving them a favor, giving them positive attitude if they've given it to us, giving them information, right? If they've given us a free sample, we should do something in return to enrich them. They've enriched us. Yeah. So, so these triggers, so do you think some of these triggers are um, the result of social training and some yeah. of them are the result of evolution? Um, of evolution? Yeah. So yeah. reciprocity is one that's socially um, installed in us. We learn from childhood, you must not take without giving in return. And that's tr taught in every human culture. Every, yeah, I think I, I recall that in your work, that every single society, that, that, that you've never, nobody's ever discovered a culture that, um, that ignores this rule. Right. And so, 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 so one would have to ask, well, why? Well, it would seem that perhaps the, this law of reciprocity is what holds a society or a tribe or a clan together. It makes for cooperation and collaboration uh, and allows one person <clears throat> to give something to another, right, to begin one of those interactions without actually giving it away. Uh -huh. For the first time in evolutionary history, it becomes possible to give resources to another without giving them away by this rule that's installed in every in every right. member of every culture, got that it. Person okay, has an obligation to give back. So there must be like with these principles, there must be some um, greater reason. Um, there must they, they must serve a purpose, right? Because right. they 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 can also um, they could also work against the decision maker in some cases, right? If they're but, if, if they are counterfeited, uh, if the yeah. information is, <laughs> right. is abused, but most of the time they steer us correctly as to when to say yes. And, so and, and so, so, then, so then they become, uh, they become useful and they get passed on or they get reinforced. Yes. That's Got why it. they are the universal principles of influence that are used by marketers, salespeople, recruiters, fundraisers, and so on, because they normally steer the recipients of those individuals' communications correctly as to when to say yes. Got it. Okay, so let, let me let me bounce this off of you. Um, if somebody has a decision to make, um, conceivably they could gather an infinite amount of data, and that would be a counterproductive process. Nobody has the time for that. So, so these six triggers... Do they generally they act as effective shortcuts into the decision making process? Is no. that right? No, that's actually sure. very perceptive, because okay. that's that's what we need in a, a world that has become more information laden, more stimulus saturated than any in our history. We couldn't possibly expect to process all of that information that's bombarding us these days, right? Mm -hmm. In a careful, considered way, we'd be standing there calibrating and considering while the time for action moved past right. us. Right. So we okay. need our shortcuts. We need to pick out from that uh, uh, array of information. Oh, is there someone here who has done me a favor? Okay, I can move in that person's direction now. And I will be likely steered correctly because if I don't, I will be shunned in our community. Yeah. So it would seem that um, at, at least perhaps most of these triggers uh, would or would have been also necessary and effective when we were cave people. Precisely. Right? Because we have to make decisions fairly quickly before it's too late. Yes. So okay. they've evolved either socially or they've evolved uh, through the, the process of evolution. Scarcity, for example, is a good example. The, the, yeah. the next one we'll talk about, a scarcity. The, when things are rare, when they're, uh, uh, unavail they're dwindling in availability and so on, uh, something of value, it mm -hmm. makes sense for us to be motivated to seize them 
before they're gone, right? So that's right. something that is in uh, so I'll, and you'll find it in lower animals uh, as well. And and when something is scarce, um, we place more value on it, right? We we um, we measure it as being of higher value. That's right. If, I, I seem to remember there was a story in your book Influence about um, cookies. Like there were uh, th- three jars of cookies were offered to a table of people. One one the jar was full. One it was um, only had one cookie or something, and one they it started full, and then they took some out and brought it back. Right. <laughs> Do I have that right? No, you've got it. Right. You're, you're, okay. You're, right. Okay. And and then they were asked to um, assign a dollar value to the cookie. Yeah. Right. And right. and so I guess the answer is fairly well. Maybe it's not obvious. So when there was only one cookie, it was really valuable. When there was a whole jar of cookies, it wasn't quite so valuable. But when that started with a full jar and then they took some away and people actually experienced it disappearing, that was the most valuable. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so new scarcity is especially powerful and e- even more powerful if the reason it's been taken away is competition. Somebody else was in competition with them oh. for these cookies. People go crazy to want it. So, it, it, you know, one of the things yeah. you can honestly say, uh, your, your listeners, um, we only have a few um, openings available. And, uh, you know, uh, there are uh, quite a few people who uh, we've offered them to. Uh, and would you like one of them? Wow. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's not only it becomes scarce, more valuable. It's a, it's, it's, a, it's a scarce resource that we are competing for. And under those circumstances, you get the highest... Um, movement in the direction of the offer. There was a study done in a supermarket chain where they looked at all the promotions that they had done over the last decade, you know, where you go into the store and there are, um, there's signage or various kinds of special uh, promotions associated with uh, items on the shelf. And the one that was by far the most successful, more than uh, uh, twice as much as any other promotion, was uh, a a scarcity promotion. It either said limited time only sale or only three items per customer. In both cases, they got the biggest spike. So that was more successful than like a price reduction or the other standard. Okay. Yeah. Or two for one or all those kinds of things. Right. No, scarcity. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Scarcity. Okay. Um, So in your book, the second principle is commitment and consistency. And I find this one to be just absolutely fascinating with lots of use. Right. So how does how, yeah, how would you explain this is that? another one that's uh, socialized into us, right? The desire to be okay. consistent with what we have already said, done, or uh, uh, believed, right? Then we want mm-hmm. our future beliefs, deeds, or uh, statements to be congruent with what we've done. Well, is this is this sort of how we kind of make sense of our internal life, our internal yeah. world? Yes, where we look inside and say, what do I value? What do I prioritize? And then it allows us another shortcut in subsequent decisions. We don't have to process all of the information about that second decision if we have an earlier decision that is consistent with it. Oh, this is the brand that I like, so I will choose it again on this store, uh, at this store, that kind of thing. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, um, mm-hmm. I'll give you an example of that, that I love of a, a study that was done in a restaurant where uh, the uh, manager uh, was having a problem with no shows, people who would book a table and then not appear for it. It was a big right. problem. Uh, and he asked his uh, receptionist what she said when she took a, a book. <clears throat> and she mm-hmm. said, so mm-hmm. he listened to her and she would say, 
at the end. If, um, if you have to change or cancel your reservation, please call. Right? You've probably heard that many times. He yeah. asked her to change two words. Will you please call? Ah, okay. And let people say, yes, of course, sure. And that's a commitment. No shows at his restaurant dropped by 67%, excuse me, 64% immediately. Wow. People went on record and now they were going to be consistent with it. So if your listeners ever have a situation in which you're running a meeting with your people in your office and you have uh, tasks for them to complete before the next meeting, don't let anybody out of that room until you say the words, will you be able to complete that task by our next meeting? And pause. Yeah. If they say, no, I don't have the time or we don't have the research. Well, that's resources. That's, that's very important. You can assign mm-hmm. a, a longer time frame or give that person some assistance. But if the answer is, yes, I'll be able to do it you have significantly increased the likelihood that they will come prepared. Right. So um, this, um, this law, the commitment and consistency, it's, it's that commitment is uh, internal, but I think you would say that if it's also declared externally, it strengthens the consistency. Is that right? That's right. Public commitments work much more powerfully than commitments that we make to ourselves and leave them in our heads. So, if um, so, so, in, so, so, for example, if somebody says yes, I will, then boom, it's a public commitment. That's right. Or okay. if you write it down, it's even more uh, a committing ver- version of making it public because there it is for everybody to see. You can't forget or change uh, in your mind, misremember what you said. There it is, it's in your handwriting. So yeah. for example, have you ever been to the doctors and they, they give you a, a little uh, card with the date and time of the next appointment on it? Right. Okay, well, yeah. I have a colleague in the UK who did a study of that and found that if instead of giving people that card, you give them the blank card and have them write down the date and time of the next appointment, Ah, you reduce no-shows by 15%. Got it. Okay. And uh, no-shows are uh, always, in any industry, they're a big money waster. So. Got it. Uh, so, um, so marketers use uh, use this. So, so uh, I guess one way of I think of this rule is that little decisions in one direction frequently lead to bigger decisions in the same direction. Correct. It's called the so momentum of compliance. The com- momentum of compliance. And so, if somebody downloads a free ebook. Um, they've just increased the likelihood that they'll become a paying customer later. Exactly. For two reasons. One is reciprocity. You've just, oh, I been... think I know. What the... Yeah. Okay. Well, I was thinking you'd load it with lots of reasons. <laughs> no, no. Okay. Well, certainly the law of authority, social proof, yeah. right? Liking. <laughs> yeah. And, and, right. and, and they've made a commitment to this. Yeah. And they uh, made a commitment. One of the people who I studied when I was researching this book, I would take, training in a variety of um, influence professions. Ah, yeah, that's right. And and there was a manager who, who, a sales manager who was telling us, look, you can get people to take a small amount, a a small order, right, from Mm -hmm. us, even if it might not make sense uh, economically, because what you've done is you've changed that person from a prospect to a customer. Yeah. And now that label of customer is consistent with subsequent larger uh, compliance actions or offers that are accepted. Right on. Um, Well, I raised uh, the the principle of social proof. Tell us how that one 
acts on human psychology. Yeah, so uh, one way we decide what is appropriate behavior for ourselves in a situation <laughs> is to look around us at what others are doing in that situation, especially people who are similar to us. If a right. lot of other people are moving in a particular direction, uh, making a particular choice, we have evidence that, oh, once again, here's a shortcut. That's probably a good choice. Uh, there was a study done in restaurants in Beijing, China. It shows you the cross-cultural reach of this yeah, okay. principle. Um, the managers of a string of restaurants were able to significantly increase the purchase of certain items on the menu of their restaurants without changing the price of the item, without changing the description of the item, without hiring a chef who had more experience with it, without buying more expensive ingredients for the item. None of that. All of that was expensive. It all was costly. Here's what they did. They just put an asterisk next to that item. And at the bottom of the menu, it said, not what we normally see, which is, this is the, a specialty of the house, right? Or this is the chef's recommendation for the evening. Nope. Uh -huh. It said, one of our most popular items. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I figured that's what it was. And its popularity made it more popular mm -hmm. by 13 to 20 percent, depending on which item they put the asterisk next to. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. Uh, if, if, um, if you've got mm -hmm. that, if you've got uh, other people whose testimony or whose uh, stories you can tell about something that you're um, that you're recommending, that will be very powerful. And especially if you can say something like, this is the most popular coverage that we offer for people in your situation. We that strikes me. That. <laughs> that seems like the barest form of social proof. We all have it. it right? It, it, it's the, the proprietor himself yeah. is saying, um, this is the most popular item, or this is a popular item. There, there's no testimonial. There's no real third party. There's no name. There's no picture of the oh, other people. Right. It's, it's just the words most popular. That's it. Yeah. Okay. Now uh, here's a yeah. We've just finished some research that I like because uh -huh. <clears throat> it. What if, what if you got a new offering that isn't popular yet? Right. Right. Yeah. It's too new. Right. Mm -hmm. But. Uh, it has merit, and um, only a few uh, uh, people have uh, adopted it. Right? Yeah. If you present the trend, you get just as much impact as if it were the majority, because people project the trend into the future. So if you were to, so we did a study, for example, where we asked people to save water in their homes. Yeah. And uh, some people were just asked to do that and it didn't have much of an effect. Other people were told 30% of homeowners in, our, in your area do try systematically to conserve water, right? Mm -hmm. That didn't work. But if we said two years ago, 20% tried to conserve water. Last year, it was 25. This year, it's 30%. It's the same 30%. Now we get a ah, significant increase. Got it. So if you don't have the largest selling, <laughs> the greatest uh, 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 market share for a, an idea. Or, or if product. it's a new product, right? Yeah. So if it's so relatively new, you, yeah. Yeah, you, you could say yeah. this is our, our fastest growing product or our fastest selling product. So, so how much impact did that um, uh, execution deliver for the water saving 2020, 20 to 25 to 30? How much impact did that have? It, it was a significant impact um, of, and I'm trying to remember the, we did several studies mm -hmm. uh, on it, but I would say um, 
well, I'm not even going, I'm not going to guess without the data, but um, believe me, uh, we aren't the only ones who've shown this effect. Now there's another group of people at Stanford who've shown this effect, and there's a group of researchers in, in Europe that now have shown the effect in yeah. Germany. It works. Well, my little community owns its own water district and saving water in Arizona is always an issue. So, yeah. so, so that's, that is one that's near and dear to my heart. Um, so the fourth principle in your book, Bob, is the principle of liking. Mm-hmm. No um, surprise, right? Yeah. That we prefer yeah. to say yes to people we like. Of course. But here's where the research can help. There are two very small things we can do to increase the extent to which people feel a sense of rapport with us, a, a sense of liking. One is to identify and raise to the surface similarities between us, mm-hmm. some kind of comparable uh, traits or interests or <clears throat> hobbies and so on. There was a study of negotiators who found that if they sent information to one another ahead of time about their personal backgrounds, where they went to school, what their major was, what their hobbies are, what their family uh, situation is, right? Yeah. They got a significant increase in um, cooperative um, outcomes, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and the researchers, when they looked at it, found that it wasn't the amount of information they sent that made the difference. It wasn't that they just humanized themselves by sending information about uh, who they are and what they do. It was whether in the information they sent, there were hits, there were commonalities. There was, you're a runner? Really? I'm a runner. Uh, Okay, right. You're an only child? I'm an only child. That, those were the things. So what we have now is um, the internet where people tell us all kinds of things about themselves. It's not embargoed or proprietary information. We would be fools not to see who those people are. And if we find genuine commonalities, raise them to the surface. Right. Right. In a, in a conversation. The other aspect of uh, that increases liking is um, compliments. Giving people, Uh genuine praise for something they deserve that they've earned even it can even be how how conscientious people are about getting their materials together for a meeting that we have with them something like Mm -hmm. that um that praise uh causes them to like us it also if we've searched for it for praiseworthy things causes us to like them oh really if we praise them because we found something that's praiseworthy, we like them more. So that that also would it would seem contribute to a successful cooperative outcome. Yes. Now you have two people who like each other. You can't get better than that. Yeah, can't get better than that. <laughs> okay. Um, the principle of authority. Right. So. Uh, one way we determine, another way we determine what's the right thing for us to do in a situation is listen to what the authorities are saying, the, the experts in, in, the, uh, in the situation, right? So yeah. um, making sure people are aware of your credentials before they begin their interaction with you, you'd be surprised how frequently people forget to do that because it's embarrassing, right? You don't want to seem to be a boastful braggart self-promoter, right? So you can't do it face-to-face. It always has to be on your walls, right? Diplomas, awards, certifications, or in a letter that you sent, you send before the first meeting that you have where you Uh, say, I'm looking forward to our meeting on Wednesday on the topic of X, my background and, and, and credentials on X are as follows. Right. So, uh, some of it is presented in uniform or costume too. Is that right? 
Yes. So uh, it, there was a classic study in social psychology where they looked at how many people would, cro- would cross right. the street mm-hmm. with someone who uh, was uh, st- standing on the corner with them and crossed against the light, against the traffic, against the law. Right? How many <laughs> Right. And if the, that person was wearing jeans and a T-shirt versus a suit and tie, right? Yeah. 350% more people followed him into traffic if he was wearing a suit. Now, if he's wearing a suit, now, even if this guy is the high-powered business executive that his clothing suggests... He's no more an authority on crossing the street <laughs> than the rest of them. But yeah. the aura of authority will cause us to move and, and, and choose that person's uh, choices for our own. Yeah. Here's one thing that my office does to make sure, because very often we deal with a client uh, for my speaking or training and mm-hmm. activities. And... I'm not the one talking with that person after a while. There's a handoff to somebody else. And we always credential that person because they're not allowed to do mm. it themselves. Right? Right. We even do it in our voicemail. Let me read you the, uh, the voicemail of, um, of, of my uh, uh, president, uh, uh, Bobette Gordon, for one of our um, our employees. Thank you for contacting me. I'm out of the office today. I'll be back in the office Thursday morning. While I'm gone, for any time-sensitive issues, please contact Eileen Vandermeer. Eileen is very smart, creative, wise, and resourceful. She knows everything or knows where to find it. Find it. You couldn't be in better hands. Michael, yeah. I can't tell right. you the kind of positive reaction we get from people to that introduction to our employees. Well, that's an incredibly useful principle in an insurance agency where a customer or prospect may know the agency principal or might know a producer, but when they call, the principal or producer is not available and they end up with a customer service representative right. who they don't know. Yes, but if if they had a relationship with the CSR, that person should be really highly credentialed, probably in an email from the principal. Exactly, we've got to get. We we can't expect that person to do the task of credentializing themselves. They just you can't sit down with somebody and say, "Before we begin, let me tell you how great I really am." No, that goes it <laughs> goes against yeah. all the rules. So we <laughs> right. have to have somebody else do it or we have to have that information sent ahead of time in writing. Yeah, got it. Um, I, w- for, I want to jump back for a moment to the principle of liking because I, I was reminded of a story in your book about the best car salesperson of all time. Was that Joe Girard? It was Joe Girard. Yeah, right, right. And so do you want to tell that story? Yeah. So what Joe did, well, he, he Joe has recently passed, but yeah. um, what he did to produce the, the, the label for himself of the greatest car salesman of all time in the Guinness Book of Records, mm-hmm. he sold five or six cars or, truck, cars or trucks a day. Right? <laughs> yeah, okay. He sent one of the things he did. He would send people every month a card associated with some holiday, right? So for January, it was Happy New Year. For February, it was Happy uh, Valentine's Day, and so on, right? Yeah. And the card said Joe Girard on on the front. And when you opened it up, it said, I like you. That's all. I like you. I like you. Now, Joe, 
sent 40,000 of those a year. That was a lot of expense. Mm -hmm. But they helped make him the favorite car salesman of all time. And a very wealthy man. <laughs> a very wealthy man. And, and as I recall, he wasn't signing 40,000 of these, did no. he? Or, yeah, it just was so, printed. Yeah. I like you. And then his like name, you. Joe Girard. To every one of his former customers. I, I wonder how many tens of thousands of people have heard that story, potentially could have put it to use and didn't. Right. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, I do have a couple of other questions for you. Sure. Well, I want to talk about now. Okay. So we're in a, uh, we're in a, a difficult and interesting period. Uh, people are uh, under some stress. There is, um, you know, we're, we're in the pandemic. There's a fair amount of uncertainty and uh, perhaps anxiety. And I know that there are some principles that people tend to lean towards in times of uncertainty. Exactly right. What should we know about that? Well, so what, what we know is that when people are unsure, when they're uncertain, when, when things seem ambiguous to them, they don't look inside themselves for the answers because all they see is that lack of certainty, right? All they mm -hmm. see is that confusion. They look outside of themselves for answers as to what they should do. And there are two of the principles of influence that give them that information that allows them to reduce their uncertainty about what they should do now. Right. One is authority. What are the experts recommending? Mm -hmm. What are the people who have studied this? Right. If you get that kind of information, all right, that reducing yeah. your uncertainty allows you to move forward. So one of the things we should always use under circumstances like we are currently experiencing where there's a lot of uncertainty involved. Be sure that we credentialize our ideas so that if they come from experts from outside of our agency and so on, fine, credentialize ourselves, credentialize our employees, right? Yeah, okay. So the other is social proof. Right. The idea that one way we decide what we should do in a situation when we're uncertain is to look at what the people around us like us are doing, right? That gives us a, cl a clue as to what we should do there. So for example, um, that, that uh, study in, in, in China. So you find out what's the, what are the other people doing? Okay, Whew. One, one single piece of information, I can use it and I will usually be right. Right. Um, I have one last question for you, and I and 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 uh, I sort of I hate to ask this one last, but I really wanted to cover these six principles, um, and and that is that you have made a significant, um, well, significant study and a significant contribution in the world of influence and persuasion by focusing on what happens before the um, the exercise of influence or persuasion itself that you call persuasion. How, how, how does that work in human interaction? Yeah, well, as opposed to the book Influence, which covers the what best to build into our message to get agreement, mm -hmm. persuasion describes the process of gaining agreement with a message before it's been sent. Although that might seem like some form of magic, yeah, I was uh, going to say, well, that sounds like magic. Yeah. I want to hear it. How, 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 <laughs> how can you get people to agree with something they haven't heard yet, right? Mm -hmm. Right. It's because they don't know they don't know what's in your message. Here's the thing. You know what's in your message mm -hmm. before you send it. So if you can put people in a frame of mind that is consistent with or aligned with your message before it is sent, you'll be much more successful. Let me give you an example. Um, in a study, researchers approached individuals and asked for help with a marketing survey for no compensation. Only 29% mm -hmm. of people agreed to participate under those circumstances. But if the researchers approached a second sample of individuals 
and preceded the request with a simple, persuasive question. Do you consider yourself a helpful person? <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Almost everybody said yes. And then when they were asked to help with the market. Almost 100%? 77%. What was it again? I'm sorry. 70, you went from 29% to 77.3%. Now, okay. said, sure, I'll help. Yeah. Okay. So mm-hmm. what do you put in a person's mind before you make a request that's aligned with the request that is about to come? There was a beautiful study I saw. I don't know if you're a wine drinker, Michael, but if you go into a wine shop, research shows, and there is German music playing, you're more likely to buy a German vintage. Oh, no kidding. Okay. If there's French music playing, you're more likely to buy a French bottle of wine. So what's in your consciousness that's just ahead of the opportunity to act? People will act in ways that are congruent with what is top of consciousness for them at that point. So our task is to put at top of consciousness for people things that align with what we see as our most powerful elements of our case. Is it it our reliability? Is it, our, um, is it our reputation for honesty? Is mm-hmm. it our, uh, our prices that are better than our competitors? Whatever it is that we want people to pay attention to and resonate to most, we need to just raise that issue in their minds before we ever make our presentation. And they will be more aligned with it and consequently more uh, likely to um, choose accordingly. Um, wow. For, for those of us who are in business, that's, that's, a, um, that's a really, really powerful principle. Yeah. You know, there's a study that I love that showed that if visitors to a a furniture, an online furniture store were directed to a landing page that had fluffy clouds in the black, in the background. Right. Mm-hmm. They were more likely to purchase com- more comfortable furniture. If they were directed to a website that had pennies in the background, they were more likely to purchase um, inexpensive furniture, right? Because oh, no kidding. image no kidding. brought yeah. to mind a different kind of idea or concept and they then found themselves following what was top of mind and so i would ask i i don't know if uh, of your if your um uh, your, your listeners uh, mm-hmm. have uh, waiting rooms with uh, people waiting and there are magazines and and so on uh, you know um the magazine the magazines you choose what you choose should be uh, uh, right, uh, aligning yep. to what you are best at, and what is, the question should also be, you know that old that 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 advertisement. What's in your wallet, right? Right. Yeah. What I'm going to ask, what's on your landing page? Uh huh. What's on your landing page that is representative of your greatest strength? That's what you need to put. Yeah, got it. Um, well, Bob, as always, this was a delightful conversation and jam-packed with uh, content. And as well as I know your work, uh, I have three pages of notes. So <laughs> I'm glad to hear that, Michael. Yeah, as as always, so uh, got a tremendous you know, tr- tremendous don't die. You're the one with the dog-eared copy of the book. I'm the one with, yeah, yeah right. <laughs> Still a student. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Dr. Cialdini, if a listener wants to learn more, um, discover more, uh, discover your books, find out more about your teaching, how can they do that? And and by the way, uh, I'll uh, to the extent I'm, a, I'm an authority, 
in the field of marketing, I'll highly recommend it. Yeah. How does that sound? <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's um, simple. Uh, yeah. We have a website. It's called influenceatwork.com. So influence at work is all one word, mm -hmm. right? Influenceatwork.com. And you can find uh, all that information uh, that you were just uh, describing, Michael. All right. Terrific. Well, uh, once again, Bob, I really, really enjoy the time um, and uh, good to hear from you again. Yeah, I enjoyed it as well and uh, appreciated the, uh, the questions. You really you bet. Uh, did your homework. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Connected Insurance Podcast. If you found this episode informative, please share it with your peers and colleagues. Explore the Connected Insurance family of resources for insurance agents and brokers by visiting agencyrevolution.com and clicking media. Subscribe and get updates delivered right to your inbox. New episodes every Wednesday.